0: Welcome to The Road to Zero, a future-proof podcast, as we explore the changing nature of our economy, as we look for prosperity and opportunity in not only preserving, but also improving our environment. Today on The Road to Zero, we are talking to Matt Fairley, Vice Chairman at Next Hydrogen. Welcome, Matt. Welcome. Welcome.
1: Uh, Nick, we'll, I'm looking forward to a good conversation here on on hydrogen and what we're doing.
0: And I see you're trying out the the Great Starlink system. I know for myself, I'm really excited to the day when that'll be available on sailboats. So I can actually we traveling a little bit more, so hopefully that works working well for you. Well,
1: that. it it is. As I said, we I I lose uh, I lose contact about uh, f- uh, five or ten seconds every five minutes, but otherwise, uh, it uh, you know it's 100 megabytes down download. Upload, it's uh, it's a great service. But they haven't got enough satellites yet, at least where I am. Yes. That's well, a beautiful day here.
0: Yeah. And just before we start, we'll talk a little bit about the the company you're involved with, Next Hydrogen. But I'd love to hear a little bit of, of how you got into hydrogen. So looking at the, the information I got, it looks like you've been in the hydrogen world since the mid 90s. Uh, well,
1: in fact, it's uh, my start in hydrogen was uh, at university as a graduate student. So this would have been. Um, Uh, late, at the end of the 70s, early 80s. And uh, at that time, I was doing a very challenging experiment in the Department of Physics at U of T. And uh, we also had a a company on the side, which was a a bit of a muse. It was um, called Academic Research Associates. And our our motto was, we're overqualified. But the experiment I was doing Mm -hmm. involved... um, looking at uh, some measurements, uh, thermodynamic measurements, and uh, I needed a hydrogen supply. So this this, uh, introduced me to the world of, of metal hydrides. And at that time, people were talking about hydrogen as a transportation fuel. So we decided to build a car, and uh, we built a car that ran on hydrogen using metal hydride gas storage systems at that time. And remarkably, uh, we got it uh, certified and insured to run on uh, Toronto Street. So we had a hydrogen car back in the in uh, the late 70s, early 80s in Toronto. We, we had dreams of uh, commercial returns for this, but in the end, we ended up selling selling the car to an American group. We ran out of money, maybe interest at that time, and uh, we had to go our assorted uh, career paths. So um, we parted with the car, but about four years later, after selling the car, we built a tractor for Electrolyzer Corporation for a conference in Toronto, which was the World Hydrogen Energy Conference, and the, and the tractor was there. That was my start. At that time, you know, hydrogen... Was seen as as a replacement for for oil because uh, at that time the that was the first sounding of peak oil and the concern that we were going to run out of fossil carbon resources. And as we <laughs> later found out, there's lots of carbon resources. Maybe not like the ones we were looking for in the 70s. We're we're surrounded by oil, it seems. Anyway, so that that was my first yeah, that are. was my first introduction to to hydride.
0: And well, honestly a lot of ways we could say you're a bit of a pioneer. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and then again, you know, an opportunity came around in the mid-90s. At that time I was out on the West Coast, but I came back and Ballard was just starting to make headlines. I think Ballard, you know, Ballard had been around for a while, but you know, they they're really beginning to see fuel cells in in transportation applications. Uh at that time I joined Electrolyzer Corporation, director of their technology and uh, shortly thereafter, we we got some contracts with Ford Motor Company to look at infrastructure and how it could be delivered using electrolysis. And I think it's very significant at that time, hi, uh, Ford recognized that climate change was going to be a, a future factor, significant factor, and uh, took the initiative on looking at how they could source hydrogen for fuel cell cars and how they could source uh, renewable hydrogen. Electrolyzer Corporation, uh, there was sort of a reverse Take over with Stewart Energy, which I was a co-founder of with Andrew Stewart, and then uh, CTO of that company, and then eventually merged with Hydrogenics. My career took another turn there, and I ended up in Atlanta working for a uh, An aluminum company, Novellus, developing the process to make aluminum pickup trucks, which was the F-150, which came out on the market in 2015. And at that time, then I returned back to Canada. I helped found Next Hydrogen in 2008, but I was sort of in transit at that time on my way to Novellas. So we founded that company and really my role at that point was connecting you know some guys who are pretty good at designing electrolyzers with uh, some guys with money from wind energy business who saw the, the future for green hydrogen and wanted to build a purpose-built electrolyzer for green hydrogen. And that's really the
0: origins, really set design objectives, business objectives of the company, the product requirements. And- yeah, I see it's been, um, you've been in this field for quite a while and it's actually uh, great to see how much of an industry there's been and and even surprised i never imagined ford being so involved in it
1: ford was an early mover at the time there was a us car program which was promoting the objective wasn't hydrogen it was cars that could reduce oil consumption and increase efficiency primarily through the metric of miles per, per gallon and it was recognized early that targets that were set couldn't be achieved with gasoline vehicles and so that's where hydrogen
0: mm-hmm. entered
1: the picture mm-hmm. and um, you know there was a number of developments at that time including the ill-fated gasoline reformer to reform gasoline into hydrogen and use it in fuel cells. A lot of developments at that time, but uh, Ford was the leader. And in fact, Ford put uh, a fleet of vehicles in, I think it was in Vancouver, around 2000 or so, there were a fleet of fuel cell powered Ford Focus vehicles
0: really interesting. It's amazing. The more you learn, the more you see it's been, a, there's been a lot around. And I like to really hear the focus on what you're up to now. So what I hear is this really, this pairing with the renewable industry, and especially in this green hydrogen way, taking that renewable energy and making hydrogen with it. And exactly what is your specialty there at Next Hydrogen? What are you guys providing that's so good for that?
1: Yeah. So so Next Hydrogen has been, itself has been around for a long time. It was founded in, at the end of 2007, beginning of 2008. So it's been in business for 13 years as you recall the great recession occurred along the way and these have been pretty lean years. So the next hydrogen is a middle-aged startup. We're really just getting things going now. The the original premise and that was delivered early on was from the or I should say challenge from the wind guys was build us something at scale which we want it matched to the renewable resource which is wind that wind is not an on-off proposition, a variable supply of electricity. It has sort of a bell-shaped distribution in terms of when it's available and how much is available. And so we designed an electrolyzer as large scale, which uh, is designed to be flexible in terms of uh, its response to energy resource. So it can follow wind energy when it's available. It has an extended operating range. And you need that in order to capture the full resource in a capital efficient way. And so the system is designed for high current density and for, uh, for those periods when there's a lot of renewable resource available, but not frequently. But when it is available, you can capture it completely. Mm-hmm. And so that, we believe, leads to the most capital efficient design in terms of dollar in terms of the levelized cost of hydrogen. We have a unit, because it can, has this extended operating range, it's smaller than the competitor's unit, but it captures the, the resource as well as the larger unit does. And that factor, if you compare it with conventional okay, electrolyzers, is about a little over two times smaller. So we have something which is okay. so it's more, more compact. compact. Now, this is going to give us great benefits in the renewable market in at large scale, which is where we ultimately want to go, but in the short term, what it gives us is a very the ability to put an electrolyzer into into an, a container, an enclosure uh, that has a lot of hydrogen production. We can operate the unit at the top of the range for an extended period to produce a lot of hydrogen out of a, a smaller
0: box, if you like. And and basically, I think I saw the pictures on the websites. You have these containers, basically little containers, drop them right at the site. What's the best way? Is it at the site it, or somewhere down the line? Those units are designed, designed to
1: be on site. You want to avoid cost of um, transporting hydrogen from where it's being produced to where it's needed. If you can avoid that cost, it has a significant impact on the total cost of hydrogen. Our systems are designed to be located mm-hmm. where they're to be used, which is currently at warehouses. The hydrogen is is produced close to where the electrical connect on the property is, and then the hydrogen is piped through tubing to where it's needed. So in the case of Canadian Tire, at the Bolton Distribution Center, they have eight dispensers, and those dispensers are fed from a manifold that runs along the roof of the building. And we simply drop the the lines down to the dispensers where the forklifts
0: are fueled. So they're using it to to fuel their forklifts on an industrial facility?
1: yeah, at a distribution center. That's where the this is the NH three hundred system that we're putting in at Canadian Tire in Bolton.
0: And then what what's the range of your customers you're seeing now? So that's definitely one of your customers. Is it kind of a similar type of profile, or what? Uh, who are who, well, our who customer, your customer base, base right
1: now, and and you, this again speaks to the origin of the company. Our customer base is Canadian Tire. We've sold them three systems there. As it turns out, they're in our backyard. So it's an easy customer to deal with. King out from Canadian Tire, there are other distribution centers in the GTA area that we're certainly going to reach out to. In addition to that, we're getting a lot of interest from outside the province in Canada and, in fact, outside of Canada. Growing company, not quite ready to start being a global actor in this business and, you know, selling around the world. We are looking for licensees. We have a licensee in Ontario, but we're looking for licensees in these other markets.
0: And when you say licensees, is that to sell or to
1: actually manufacture? It would be a staged thing. Initially, it would be assisting with market de- the market delivery of the product, in other words, selling it, as well as uh, certain aspects of product delivery as it pertains to what's in, needed in the project. So if there, if there are requirements like fueling stations and certain balance of plant things that are required, The sort of partners that we would be looking for would be able to supply those things to the requirements of the market, which, as you probably know, if you're looking at Europe or um, certain parts of Asia or Australia, for that matter, you need to have things that are certified, that are accepted by that local authorities and the authorities having jurisdiction. Having a local partner helps facilitate that process.
0: See, You want someone to establish that ground game and really kind of do a little bit of let you guys know what the specs are and, and just be, be the guy on the ground to work with the clients and give you an idea yeah, what's that's, needed. In that that's market.
1: what we to be able to provide our, our partners is turnkey in terms of designs, tooling and all that's required to
0: to build the units in the long term. So the key here is you're looking for markets that have, I guess, low cost of electricity, excess renewable yes. electricity, and they can just basically during those low electricity times, basically make hydrogen with it, and they can fuel yeah, the vehicles. Yeah,
1: we we, uh, we live in the province of Ontario, so we see the future as far as what happens when you decarbonize the grid using if you're if you don't have the benefit of electric, hydroelectric, which you which you do, of course, in British Columbia, uh, where you have natural storage. This creates a market. Which is quite opportunistic. Uh, how we can access that market? We believe that you know, with some simple fiscal policy, that can be done.
0: And just just a point of clarity: I'm not as familiar with the Ontario market. So, do your energy prices kind of vary depending on the supply? Is it like the di- different times of day, well, electricity prices are different? Because how of the nature
1: of our electricity supply and the fact that it's largely decarbonized, so our our emissions are around 50 grams per kilowatt hour. And you compare that to a natural gas turbine 350 to 450. So from that basis, you can see we have a very clean grid and we have a little bit of hydroelectric storage. but this this mix is uh, is dominated by nuclear and hydroelectric resources and then renewables on top of that. And what that's created is a, mar- a market with a very large surplus of clean electricity. So we've done some work on this, and it's well documented. What this amounts to is about 11 terawatt hours. That's 11,000 gigawatt hours of surplus electricity. All that surplus electricity is clean. By that, I mean it's low carbon. It comes from... Wind or uh, nuclear resources, because as surplus electricity, any natural gas turbine that's on the system is shut off to save the fuel, so under these circumstances, we have a, a large amount of surplus electricity, so that's enough electricity to produce with a reasonable capacity factor that's enough electricity to produce fifty seventy thousand tons of hydrogen a year, which is enough to make a significant impact in terms of uh, reducing uh, greenhouse gas emissions in the transportation sector and that's that's something that we really believe is achievable and it's achievable could be achievable very quickly by producing hydrogen using this renewable resource utilizing it in goods movement so we're working with Canadian tire inside the fence as you're probably familiar with their business model they they rely a lot on trucking we can extend this decarbonization outside outside the fence my making hydrogen and using it to move goods in Ontario which is which is a big business and
0: are you working on this right now or is this the next place that you see you we're, to bring we're your in business? a
1: business development phase on this the, re, the thing that I think well the thing that's missing but it's coming along are the trucks but if you look at for example in a, a corridor like the 400 series the 401 in uh, in Ontario it's the uh, busiest goods movement corridor in North America certain highways in California, leading out of the ports that have a lot of goods movement on them but this is in terms of total number of trucks this is the busiest in north america and so with this electricity resource with the corridor that's there with the size of the market with the fact that we have the auto industry here there's there's just a convergence of factors that make this a very interesting proposition
0: yeah, it really does. You have all the big pieces to um, to really have a, a very yeah. good showcase project.
1: Well, we hope beyond that. We hope to put ten thousand trucks before the end of uh, before the end of the decade, and if we did that, that would have huge impact on emissions both in terms of local air quality as well as uh, as greenhouse gas emissions.
0: The other understated piece is the amount of uh, air pollution out of transportation. You know, it's, that's not insignificant. And the fact that going with it, an all-hydrogen system also not disappears. Yeah,
1: I, I mean, in the case of Ontario, it's interesting. You look around the airport, that's where all our logistics are. And it's, it's an air quality non-attainment zone. To start with because you have the aircraft there but now you pile on the trucks it's, it's really quite an unhealthy unhealthy environment from an air quality perspective you know when you look at the ports in ontario the ports are of course the major borders with uh, the u.s and specifically down in sarnia and windsor those are also air quality
0: non-attainment areas so not only do we resolve the carbon issue you resolve the air air pollution issue and uh... And then too, the amount of new innovation and new jobs and new industry that uh, changing out to this infrastructure, that's a huge opportunity for this region.
1: No, I think we just need to wake up in terms of uh, the problem with Ontario. I mean, we just need to wake up to the opportunity. And with the recent release of the Canadian hydrogen strategy, which um, I would say that community in BC has been very instrumental in in getting that done. But with that uh, strategy, there's now a clear linkage between hydrogen and cl- action on climate change. And this is now, I think, now seen globally that this is a tool, maybe a necessary tool. Mm-hmm. It's just going to be like wind and solar. We we're, we're simply going to move on into a hydrogen transition as we've moved through the to go down the road of a renewable energy.
0: That's a good point because I think all the pieces are there. The strategy is there. And now it's just a matter of, of connecting the dots and moving it together. And I can see how what you guys are up to is really providing some of that technology that really allows Industry to really adopt it and move in that direction. Yeah, I
1: think our products on the on-site can allow for these on-site production systems at scale. So the system in Canadian Tire is a 300 normal cubic meter an hour facility. It, it can produce up to 650 kilograms of hydrogen per day, and at that scale, the cost benefit analysis, the CBA works. So uh, we we can produce, assuming a site that's a large electricity consumer. Like Canadian Tire at that site, we can produce hydrogen less than the cost of delivered liquid hydrogen, which is the other, which would be the other supply option. Okay, got it. In terms of trying to beat diesel, that's not insurmountable either, and I'd I'd say that based on just what we were talking about this surplus of electricity and surplus of clean electricity in Ontario. If that was a made available selling price, which in fact would be higher than what it's clearing for now, because you've probably heard stories about it, curtailment and negative pricing and near zero pricing. But say we were able to get three cents a kilowatt hour for that, then the electricity cost to put hydrogen in a tank would be it would be around a dollar eighty a kilogram. And if we couple that with the credits that can be generated by something like the clean fuel standard when it matures. But if we look at what's going on in California, these credits are between $3 and $4 a kilogram. So applying those two things, you're starting at negative $1.20 a kilogram. <laughs> negative yeah. twenty is negative so, so now you can take that and you can do a lot in terms of paying back on your capital, the yeah, capital definitely. of the station. So properly yeah. utilized, in other words, an on-site system which is designed to the capacity of the fleet, then you get excellent capital utilization, and indeed you can be cheaper cheaper than diesel, a lot cheaper.
0: Not only the climate and the yeah. environmental benefit, but even a huge economic opportunity right there of investing. I, yeah.
1: I I laud I laud Love the it. direction that the fuel cell companies like Ballard are moving in towards heavy duty transport. That really is the market, particularly for Ballard, but I think for fuel cell introduction you know, one class eight truck in terms of emissions, it can be 40 cars, 50 cars. If it's a truck that's and wow. some of these trucks, and I think this is what's being done in Alberta, although I haven't seen the numbers, but we were looking at projects where we were looking at conversion of a fleet of ore carriers for mining. And there were only 15 trucks involved or 15 vehicles. There are probably more, more trucks because they need for maintenance, they need to rotate them. But with this fleet of 15 operating vehicles continuously, it was close to 13,000 tons of CO2 a year. So these these fleets can make a, a huge, huge contribution to decarbonization. And the technology is it's soon going to be in the market, and you can see it being delivered around
0: the world. Yeah, it's very exciting, I think. Oh, it definitely is. Yeah. And especially the last year we've seen a tremendous shift in at least the awareness of hydrogen. You know, at least for me. I, I've seen more of it at least and and seeing more companies move towards it. So it's been it's been quite interesting. And I and I get for that to happen in such short order, a lot of work has been happening over a number of years in the background with people like yourself who's been in this industry so long. And do you find you're seeing now the kinda of it's bearing fruit more than it has? Oh,
1: absolutely. And uh but I and there are a couple of factors here that that I think make the difference. And one is renewable energy has come down in cost to levels that weren't predicted 20 years ago. Maybe they were predicted that, yes, indeed, we we're going to decarbonize the grid. We're gonna get a whole bunch of this. And we because it's something we can manufacture, we can probably get the cost out. It's amazing when you look at what these power projects are signing, power contracts are being signed today for large, large-scale renewable projects. And that carries over into smaller projects like residential projects in California. So you have, it's a requirement that you have to have solar systems on your house in California, a new bill. And it's affordable and it makes sense. It makes sense for the homeowner to do that, even though he has to to take out more on his mortgage, he will pay less for his power. That's great. Just, you know, this imperative to decarbonize and, and to do that on a large scale and to do it quickly. And this means taking on, the large emitters. And the large emitters, if you go beyond power, are the heavy industries. And many of these industries use hydrogen or can use hydrogen in replacement of carbon. So this is very exciting opportunity to look at combining those two things to move quickly and boldly on reducing emissions. And then the third thing is this wonderful thing called the fuel cell, which now can take that hydrogen and convert it back to electricity into useful energy services, cars, whatever, and do that cleanly and uh, with with uh, no environmental impact. So those three things really add up to, we've realized I can buy a hydrogen car. I can go down to Oakville. I had one for three years. I leased it from Hyundai, but I'm, I'm now looking at buying one, <laughs> you know. In Ontario, buying a hydrogen car from a used Toyota, of course, probably come off lease from Vancouver. But I got to buy that car. And uh, we have these. uh, So I think that all is is coming into place. All those things are sort of lining up. I think that runway, hydrogen is ready to take off. You look around the world and what, for example, I found it very interesting what France is doing and uh, Germany. I think they have a program called Ambition which just speaks to the fact that they want, they really want to push this in the European Union to push the economy along this transformation, energy transformation. It looks like everybody's on board for that.
0: They've really made the business case. And, and it's amazing how hydrogen is just basically fulfilling that last big piece of the puzzle to make a lot of this work. And like you said, transition the heavy industry and some of those big emitters. So there's really a framework and a plan in place that we can fairly easily follow. So it'll be really interesting what the next ten years will will yield with what's coming up and and a couple other innovations we haven't seen yet. So it'll be really interesting to see how much and how fast the Sasha will change over.
1: Yeah, I think you know these things. They talk about a tipping point and and uh, yeah, where hopefully uh, I think the tipping point is in sight. And again, it gets back to how we make the hydrogen and of course the role of clean energy in doing that. Yeah, it's foreseeable. We go through. uh, We achieve this tipping point and a whole host of new applications for hydrogen will come out of it. Why? Because there'll be cheap, available, clean hydrogen. There'll be an infrastructure that will deliver that for the early adopters. As we said, the heavy industry will probably concentrate this infrastructure, but also uh, fleets and then eventually uh, road vehicles on a large scale.
0: Uh, It's amazing. They say the future is bright and and I really love the work you guys are doing, taking the uh, you know Canadian icon like Canadian Tire and really shifting them over to a zero impact economy. So what a what what a what a great example to to put out there. And what um, what would you like to leave with our listeners?
1: Well, I'm sure comments? most of your listeners are not to say Nicholas that you don't get broad exposure, but I'm sure many of them are in the hydrogen industry or uh, have an interest in it. And uh, I guess. What I'd say to them is that exciting times lie ahead for us. We have huge challenges. Mm. One of the things that I think about is, you know, you know, when you look at where did about, you know, where did Ballard, where did the PEM fuel cell really, have, where was the cradle from which it came from? And in terms of the vision to to put it in road vehicles, sure it was in spacecraft, but where were the pioneers there? And pioneers in electrolysis, electrolyzer Corporation, Stewart family. This country has a great heritage on this, and we have still uh, the remnants of uh, the knowledge base, but we really need to think about this and, and not hesitate to invest in developing the, the human potential uh, that's necessary in order to make this work mm. for for Canada. Canada deserves to be there. And, uh, for all the work that we've done, all the pioneering work we've done, we deserve to be there, but we we just have a yeah. lot of work to do to get the resources uh, in place to to
0: realize that future. So giddy up. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Huge opportunity for Canada if we take it to be a world leader in this in this yeah. in this area. Absolutely. Well, thank you for your work and thank you for your time. And I look forward to seeing you on our showcase on March 17th.
1: Okay. I'm looking forward to it,
0: Thank you. To hear more about our podcasts, showcase events, or on the Future Proof Network, please visit us at www.futureproof-network.com.